You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we'll be talking about tom waits heart attack and vine on the line i have rob the existence of a tom waits implies the existence of a tom commences i'm just saying i'm here speaking truth popping on my peas (laughs) and kyle rob did you write that down it looked like you were reading off of a note card (laughs) (laughs) all right heart attack and vine is the seventh (laughs) album by tom waits released on september 9th 1980 uh, is his final album to be released on Asylum label. The producer was Bones Howell, and the genre is rock, blues, jazz. And I'm going to read from All Music Review, Thom Yurik. Heart Attack and Vine is Tom Waits' seventh and final album for Asylum. As such, it's transitional. He was already messing with off-kilter rhythms, even in the most conventionally structured blues and jazz songs. With nastier-sounding guitars... He plays a particularly gnarled style of rhythm on this entire album. Five of these nine tracks are rooted in gut bucket blues and rock edges and primal R&B beats. By this time, his singing voice had d- deteriorated to a gasping for breath whiskey and cigarettes growl that could make words indecipherable from one another. But his jazz man inspired phrasing more than compensated. In sum... Heart Attack and Vine reveals just how much Waits has grown during his tenure with Asylum. Though not perfected in sequencing, the alternating juxtaposition of rowdy blues and heart-worn ballads gets old. Almost every song stands on its own as a dusty gem. All right, what do we think of Tom Waits' Heart Attack and Vine? <laughs> Look, I like this record a lot. Yeah. But man, he gets so much better at this than this is. Like in two or three years better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Pluses. Record school. Um, Yeah. I mean, come on. What what the fuck's the line? Uh, There's no God. There's only, or there's no devil. Uh, There's only God when he's drunk. I mean, that's fucking dope. Yep. That is That's a great, super, great lyric. Super, super cool. And he's yeah. got like, but he's always, the motherfucker can turn a phrase like no one else. But uh-huh. I mean, like, swordfish trombone compared to this, like, come on. Like, why are, why, 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 why this pit stop? When I'm going to pass it off to someone who can tell me why this pit stop. Hey, I'm going to take that baton, but I'm not necessarily going to tell you why. I've never listened to this record before. I enjoy certain Tom Waits albums and I enjoy Tom Waits as a concept. Uh, I'm by no means a Tom Waits every time kind of person. This one for me 
it delves a little deeply into the the middle class white man's blues, which he does it. I would rather hear Tom Waits play the white man's blues than Eric Clapton, but it still is what it is. He's he's better. I don't know. He's I like his I like his approach to playing the blues. It definitely sounds more juke joint authentic, but but it still gives me the same weird feels as as other dentist blues. Yeah, you would think that, but then Screaming Jay Hawkins covers one of your songs and what are you going to do? I mean, well, he's he's a good songwriter, but it's not just my favorite songs of this album are the ones that get further away from his American blues, his his is what you call it, like gut gut blues or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe are more of a step backwards in his career than a step forwards. Like I like saving my love for you. Uh, I wrote down for that one. It's not bad for hobo blues. Uh, like Jersey girl on the nickel, those songs that kind of seem a little bit more like what he apparently is moving away from, like his like more jazz standards phase. But what he gets into after this, like what like, uh, Robert, what you were saying with like swordfish trombone, where he gets more into like the avant that is possible, the avant garde that is possible with his style of music. I think I'll like that better. But this album, although well done, well produced, well written, it when he's just like popping his peas on a white on a white man's blues song, it it bothers me, and I don't I I've been to too many rib fests. Can I talk some sense into him, Kyle? Here's the thing with Tom Waits, um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll try to make this as abridged as possible. Um, <laughs> When I was in high school in the you mid nineties, you need to turn your chair around backwards. <laughs> give, oh, give, us full, give us the full. Spin my hat around. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. All right, listen up, fellow kids. Um, <laughs> when I was in when I was in high school, I got a handful of tapes from the pawn shop. This is the mid nineties. I got them for twenty five cents a pop. Um, it included Iggy Pop's uh, "But Town," uh, like a Nitzareb tape, a Faith No More tape, and uh, Tom Waits' "Bone Machine." Yeah. Uh, which uh-huh. I which I knew I knew Tom Waits from Beavis and Butthead because yeah. uh, the I Don't Want to Grow Up music video was on there. And then, of course, the Ramones covered that later. Um, I never listened to another Tom Waits record. And throughout my 20s and my 30s, uh, a lot of a lot of people tried to get me into Tom Waits. And I just, you know, it's one of those things where these were obnoxious people. <laughs> That I, you know, they, they'd be in a bar, they'd be inebriated. Oh, you got to listen to Rain Dogs. And I'm like, oh, uh, you know, and I, I hear a song. And so I approached this record and I was looking forward to it. I was like, let's see what happens with Tom Waits, you know? Uh, and I played it a lot in my classroom. I I, I, um, I work at a day program for adults with disabilities. And um, I played this album in my classroom a few times. And people were really into it. The first two tracks, uh, Heart Attack and Vine and the instrumental in Shades, great. And the more I listened to it, okay, I did this turn, and it was Jersey Girl. Uh, I was like, his voice is ridiculous by this point. It sounds like parody. When he's like, sha la la And then I was like, well, this the songwriting's really good. I was like, if Nick Cave was singing this, would I like it more? And I was like, yes. But, um, you know, once you get to the last track on this, Ruby's Arms, and I don't know, you know, 
I've been in a, a weird emotional state for the past year, like everybody else. That Ruby's Arms broke me down. I had never heard that song. And um, I thought it was maybe it just hit me at the right time or something. But I thought that song was a masterpiece. Like I literally had my jaw dropped. Um, so, yeah, on the nickel, uh, Mr. Siegel, I really like this record. And I don't I don't want to talk to more Tom Waits fans about it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I <laughs> can, can I can I jump in just for a second? Just a moment. You know what's crazy about Jersey Girl is like, I don't, I don't remember it being in the movie Jer- Jersey Girl. Well, that is a, is a crime. But I didn't see it, so I wouldn't know. Oh, <laughs> all right, man. And I'm just gonna jump in for a hot second because. Uh, <laughs> Right now we're listening to Saving All My Love For You. It's a fucking great song. It's a great song, but it was just, I've listened to it several times this week, but just now did I realize it's almost the same song as Randy Newman's Marie, right? Yep. I loved you the first time I saw you. It's the same chords in the chorus, same melody. Oh, so Randy Newman's going to show up twice tonight, okay. Like... Saving All My Love For You, to me, sounds like a Randy Newman record played on the wrong speed. Yeah, but Randy Newman and, and Tom Waits are cut from the same cloth. They I mean, are. You could just but one of them sings like a Muppet, and one of them does not. Oh. Which one Which one are you talking about? All right, man. High five. <laughs> yeah, but which Muppet are you talking about? They, they're, I mean, they both... They do kind of they said they sing like different types of Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. Let me talk Tom some Wade sense into everybody. More, more like, this is not please. rib fest. This is not <laughs> white man blues, Eric Clapton garbage. This it's is a, not garbage, but it's literally white man blues. No. This is a well How is it not? This is a well crafted uh a nightclub performer. This isn't just somebody going to play a, a rib fest. It's a crooner. He's a crooner. It's a cr- he- but these are, this is a really bluesy album. It's true. Very blues heavy. And like, like right now we're listening to downtown and I swear, I know this is not rib fest music, but I've been to so many rib fests and there will be someone in a in, in a, like a flame job bowling shirt and a harmonica doing a cover of downtown trying to sing it do trying to do it. like this it sounds like what those guys are trying to do yeah and and it's unfortunate because Tom Waits does it well kind of like I also would always hear folks by a piano trying to do their best Dr. John and sounding so cringy whereas <laughs> Dr. John's not cringy at all you know I, I just I don't know Wait, I, I, so you just said Dr. John's not cringy at all, but Tom Waits is. I did just say that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, and I don't, I don't retract it, but there's, I don't know. There's certain songs on this album that I very much respect Tom Waits as a songwriter and as a performer. I love that he's always trying different things. I think that I like him doing things that aren't just, bar blues more uh, uh, more than I like an album of primarily bar blues. Do you prefer a schmaltzy, I, uh, like more ballady stuff? Like, like really, a, uh, 
like a saving all my love for you or uh till the money runs out and you know in uh nighthawk set the diner like i i love everything on that and that's pretty schmaltzy like specifically like uh, a song like on the nickel like the backup music that and saving all my love for you sounds like what leonard nimoy had going for his records like this weird like big string arrangements and like yeah like like, strings yeah yeah. the orchestration Uh, on on the nickel i I wrote down that how much i liked it yeah okay well that in ruby's arms yeah oof I mean, that, that could be seen as schmaltzy, but the way he pulls it off is devastating. I, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm not using the term schmaltzy as a, per, or a, a as, yeah, as a pejorative. As pejorative. Yeah, no, I, I like it's, it's just, it's the best uh, adjective I can come up with for the uh, the production quality, like because it, it yeah, it's it, it's a weird '50s throwback, but with a guy who like has smoked and drank his voice away. Well, yeah, know? he's. He is literally, he and Bruce Springsteen are, are evoking all of those 1950s musical. He's West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Like, is his voice actually gone? Because I, I read that it, it, he remembered his uncle singing like this. And so that's kind of what he developed his stage voice around. No, he developed around Howlin' Wolf. I mean, that's that's all, all right. there is to that. He he did. But is, is it affectation? Yeah. Yeah, Tom Waits definitely. Uh, part of it is a uh, raspiness due to singing uh, cigarettes and you know, kind of living the life. But but it, there is definitely affectation to make it a raspy voice, like yeah, Alan Wolf, right. like right. Doctor John, you know, like those other singers like that, because it, it does present something interesting. Um, and it counters the the pretty strings, the pretty melodies that you're hearing. So mm-hmm. it has a very purposeful, and I think that is why this particular album is here. We'll get to Bone Machine. We'll get to Swordfish Trombones and Bone Machines in this motherfucker. Yep, we get we get we five get, of his records, man. Yeah, so we'll get all Come those on. records. Yeah, sure we're getting Rain Dogs. Yep, Rain Dogs. Yeah. Of course, we're getting Rain Dogs. So but we and we've, getting, and we've already had Nighthawks, right? Yep. We have, yeah. So this is the album that that came off of, you know, things like Blue Valentine and Foreign Affairs, and he's now getting into this this he's getting away from the song craft uh, song crafter of those those pretty melodies, and now we'll get some more, you know, hard the hard Tom Waits, the eighties Tom Waits that we that we have kind of known it's two sides. He's two. He, he has yeah. two sides. This is the last on asylum. And I uh, also want to say one more thing about downtown. The thing that separates that from the white, what we call, you know, sort of bar blues or something like that is it's a late night, uh, rhythm and blues. In my opinion, it is not straight blues. It does have turnarounds. Yes, but it doesn't have a, a Waylon guitar solo over, you know, half the song. It has a little organ interlude and a lot of his uh, his elements are just a way to convey those the lyrics, and that's that's the main thing with Tom Waits is you know having those those lyrics, the feeling that you get with those, and sometimes yeah, the the mel- melodies are a bit remedial; they're a little more like an average blues song or R and B song, but they have but they're a way to convey that, to convey that feeling. That's what I like about Tom Waits is, is 
that that feeling I get is it's sort of that late night at a bar or uh, sort of what he presented with Nighthawks, but this one just has a little more guitar to it. Birch, I was being selfish, um, and uh, my the my my Tom Waits like introduction was Alice and Blood Money. Ooh, and yeah. like that shit fucking just sings to my core. So like when I hear him do like saving all my love for you, I'm like, man, I wish I was listening to Coney Island baby. Yeah. But like, I, I, I know, I know why, like I'm happy. I'm happy that like he's doing this stuff, but yeah, like it just <laughs> like, I know what's coming and I know that we're not going to get quite as far as like my introduction to like hard Tom waits. So like, listening back to this i was just like uh, the selfishness was like well i would rather be listening to this other thing but it's still very good and that, that that's not that's not fair to the record like i'm super i'm stoked we get like nighthawks of the diner was a fucking epiphany to me like that was like holy shit this guy's like like the you know th- three three sets doing the same thing like in this like studio that they set up as a fucking bar and then like two albums later we get what is going to make those albums that I like, like you, you can hear it already, like in what he's yeah. doing. Um, I, so I'd yeah, like I, to hear more about the studio set up like a bar. Oh, Kelly, dude, familiar with I don't know anything about this. Oh yeah. Nighthawks no. in the diner, man. Like, yeah, yeah. he, uh, was, he did two or three like live shows. That, it's presented and, like it's a live, like late night nightclub show. Yeah, That's like, a, like a lounge. Yeah. So in, inside the studio, they put in like tables and like brought in like people to like watch him do the thing and like waiters and waitresses going around like mm-hmm. collecting drinks and all that. So like they they they, they faked a uh, a nightclub inside the studio to record it. It's oh, it's yeah, a it's a phenomenal record. Yeah, they wanted the nightclub vibe, but they wanted to be able to control the environment like a studio, get the best recording they could out of it. And they fucking nailed it. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. So it's kind of like the recording of Tusk, but with guests? <laughs> Are you talking about where they recreated Lindsey Buckingham's bathroom for him to sing in? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly like that. super cool and like there, there's a lot of great songs on it and I, I i i felt bad after you know thinking a little bit why i was hesitant and my mind is but of selfishness so please ben i was gonna say i i learned something this week about tom waits artistic process and i'm still trying to roll it around my brain whether it makes me like him more whether it makes me like him less whether it's something that I would do if I was in the same situation or not. And that is, uh, so 
by this point in Tom Waits' career, he is earning a decent living, especially after uh, the E Street Band starts covering Jersey Girl. Uh, he's Tom Waits is no longer living at the same level of life uh, as to what he writes songs and sings about. Tom Waits believes that to sing about it, you need to experience it. So he, for a while, is living on, I don't know if he still does this or not, it might just be part of his process, but like a self-enforced poverty. Where people are saying, like, if you visited Tom Waits at the time, you know, he's he's living in a in, in like a two-room, like he's renting long-term, like a two-room dive hotel in LA and just kind of like living like 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 a like a booze hound. Not, not 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 necessarily a booze hound, but living like like someone down on the rocks on hard times, in, in imposing these restrictions on his own finances to be able to experience it and write about it. And on one side of the coin, I'm like, oh, I get that. That that does make the songs more authentic, I guess. But on the other side of the coin, I'm like, actually, no, it makes it less authentic. You know, like it's approaching the entire situation from privilege. He's like a middle-class. Nah, it's, it's method. It's a method. Nothing wrong with with method. It's, it's not the, uh, the, the the common people like pulp, uh, chorus. It's okay. That's, that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. And uh, I just wanted to hear what you guys thought. Cause I've been kind of conflicted on it ever since I read that yesterday. Yeah. I don't have a problem with method. I mean, people do, you have to, artists have to get themselves in a headspace, whatever they have to do to get there. Sometimes it it takes, you know, self-imposed restrictions like that. So I'm okay Mm -hmm. with that. I mean, it's it's better than. (laughs) 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 So, you know, whatever he can, he, wherever he finds inspiration. Yeah, he. He, he does know he could, you know, pick up and, and leave, but I think he genuinely enjoys, you know, living this life. He wouldn't tell such intricate and careful stories about the, the characters in his songs if he, you know, uh, he didn't have uh, the empathy that he does for them. And it comes across, That's I very think, valid. Yeah, in, in I some it. of these songs. You, you can't write if you can't relate. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Hey. If anyone, I, I called out Bruce Springsteen, dude never worked a day in his in his life. So, oh yeah, just like uh, David Byrne. I mean, if you wanna if you wanna talk about any of that, that's uh, I'll just leave that there. Uh, I did want to talk say though that this album was seventh album, seven albums in seven years. That's insanity. Yeah. That's some that's some workmanship that's some, right uh, there. Lagging behind the jam. Yeah, they're good albums too. I will I will vouch for all those. Some of some better than others, but they all at least have one you know amazing song. Blue Valentine, Foreign Affairs, Small Change. All those are you know great. Yeah, this record was a turning point for me, dudes. Uh, I I wasn't sure how it would come out the other end, uh, but I listened to this record a lot and. I don't know. Ruby's arms. <laughs> just that album. Just, I mean, that song just knocked me down. Uh, powerful, powerful song. 
Yeah, we're listening right now to Till the Money Runs Out. And, I, you know, some of the you're right. Some of those other songs were a little bluesy, a little blues guitar. But this one gets more into that that Tom Waits, you know, groove. It's got a little more of that uh, pick, picking guitar. It's got his Howlin' Wolf raspy vocals. Long gone are the like Louis Armstrong Tom Waits. Now it's the Howlin' Wolf Tom Waits. That was awesome. It, it goes so hard on the schmaltz. It's almost comical. It is, yeah. And that's what threw me off the first time listening to it. Like, it sounds ridiculous. Uh, on first on first blanche, like, but I put a big fat star next to On the Nickel. Um, I liked On the Nickel. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was recorded for a, a Rolf Waite uh, film of the same name. Oh, I got it. Oh, man, I was racking my brain. Uh, we were just listening till till the money runs out. And the whole song is like, do, 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 in like a 12 bar blues progression. It's shaking all over. Yeah. I was like, what is it? Oh, what is it? It's shaking. It's the riff from shaking all over. I also thought it sounded kind of like the wire. Oh, yeah. Keep the devil in the hole. Yeah, I get that. Ooh, yeah. Okay. It's a different person every season, but okay, I'm surprised they never tapped Tom Waits. Uh, Steve Earle did the one season. I think it was the season he was in, right? Yeah. I never the, finished no, it because Rob took the DVDs back. Oh, Got to finish uh, that. The, the, the first, probably uh, so you watch them with me when we were roommates. Uh, hmm. Steve, Steve Earle was, I think, the first season. Okay. I could be lying. I'm also drunk, so fuck you. Um, yeah, ultimate, yeah, man. You want to know what I think about this merch? I'll tell you what I think about it. Are you drunk and sentimental because Tom Waits is singing a ballad to you? <laughs> I'm drunk and Here's sentimental because I have no <laughs> Nah, this, uh, this is a great record. Um, I was like, when I was reading up on it, like, and how this is like the last of like the, is this the last of the Sire records? Or did he uh, jump asylum. to Sire after this? No, asylum. asylum. I was wondering though, like if direction as like a, uh, like that, the way that people give a nice, you know, fuck you to their old label. Like, this is Marie? the last of it. Oh, it's a fond farewell. Go suck a butt. Yeah, it's a fond farewell. Yeah. It, 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 and that is that is Ruby's arms, which was you know partially about his his newly wife at the time, uh, Kathleen Brenna. Uh, is 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 it's the like Jersey a, girl herself? Yeah, it, it was like a fond. Yeah, it's a it's a farewell. What you would say, it, it sort of it, it it encapsulates that early Tom Waits, and I think he knew it at the time that something was going to change. Like he needed to progress beyond what he had already done. This is the end of, you know, this is all he can do with this sort of uh, nostalgia for the old. And to survive, I think as a musician, you have to adapt, you have to grow, do something interesting. Um, I know we say ACDC, you know, writes the same song and yeah, they do. But at the same time, you see a definite progression into, you know, blues breaker and those later albums. It's not like they were completely static. And I think that this album really, he knew it. He just knew it. I'm glad you brought up Kathleen Branagh, uh, too, Birch. Uh, <clears throat> I read about her a lot this week. And uh, according to Tom Waits, she's so 
influential to him musically behind the scenes, just like a behind the scenes collaborator for him. And it was her that after this album, after they got married, started turning him on to like the uh, uh, Captain Beefheart stuff and the more avant-garde stuff and kind of he credits her with kind of being the catalyst for his kind of venture into the avant-garde of the eighties that he did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they are still together and true love is real. Yeah. She's still touring. She was going to come to, uh, does she tour? uh, Does she tour under, like, uh, does she do her Her own stuff? Yeah. It's her name. Yeah. She has albums. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. She's very much, uh, just like on the nickel, like we're listening to now. She does. She's a. What did you say not crooner? Uh, <laughs> very good singer. Didn't they like around this time was when he was working on the soundtrack for One from the Heart, and isn't wasn't she working on the set like in production or something like that? Isn't that how they how they met? Yeah. She's one of those people. It seems like she can kind of just do a bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. I think it's a it was a a good match. Yeah. I mean, obviously, here we are 40 years later. <laughs> when I'm walking down the street with you sing Eva Ledger from it was so current.com. I don't know why I picked this one out, but it it, uh, I, it was a good one. It says Tom's career is pretty much defined by his love affair with saloons, bars, strip joints, and skid row in general. While that is still here, it's not the matter of fact or even romanticized version of his previous works. Here it comes across as almost post apocalyptic, it's urban decay after a crash from high times where there is tattered tuxedos and sequins scattered uh, about amongst the rubble. It's mostly not pretty. Uh, I also thought it was funny that Heart Attack and Vine was featured in a Levi's commercial. Uh, It was covered by Screaming Jay Hawkins uh, in 1999. Uh, 92. Oh, was it? Okay. 99 or 92? Sorry, 90. The commercial came out in 93, 93. That's what it was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because 99 was when they were doing the jump, jive, and whale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I looked up this commercial and, and watched it. Yeah. Have you, did, you, did you revisit the commercial? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually a really cool commercial. I do like Levi's, and, and I like Tom Waits songs and Screaming Jay Hawkins. I do get why 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 old Tommy was missed. Yeah, the funny thing about it is I had only heard one side of the story. So the side was, you know, Waits was not pleased with it. It was, you know, he said it was used without permission uh, and took legal action against Levi's. Levi's recanted and, and they said they apologized because they had actually secured the rights to the Screaming Jay Hawkins version, uh, but... They they took it down after they realized that Tom Waits 
had a problem with it. So I think in mm-hmm. good faith, Levi's actually did get the rights and it was everything was signed for. However, they probably didn't realize that, you know, through Asylum Records or whatever, Tom Waits had the 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 full uh you know the final what, say in wh- yeah. how the song could be used. Exactly. Yeah, no, totally. And I get where Levi's was coming from. You know, like they wanted this song Jay, Haw- Jay Hawkins was doing, and they got permission from the Jay Hawkins uh screaming Jay Hawkins people. And I'm sure they assumed that, you know, like we pay for the song and they'll split up publishing however it splits up, you know, like like we're we're paying for the usage of the song. You know, little did they know Tom Waits had a very staunch policy on his songs not being used in advertising. Who even knows if the the, the marketing director knew Tom Waits wrote that song and what his policy was. For all we know, they were just trying to get licensing for this Screaming Jay Hawkins song that just came out. Right. It's weird. You know? That's why licensing they, is it, tricky. Yeah. And like you said, they, 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 they pulled it as soon as he as he voiced uh, Descent. No need to cancel Levi's. You can still wear your Levi's. <laughs> uh, how do we feel about it's the album? It's a cool commercial. I'll go first here. I like this album. I do. I do like it. I'd said earlier, decades ago in podcast time, that once we get to once we get to eighties, once we get to my era where I actually am starting to remember contemporary stuff, I'm going to need to be a lot harder on stuff that I just like. And I think that we're going to be getting some Tom Waits albums coming up that I really, really like. And I think, you know, just for, I think I've, I've got to stay neutral on this one. I've got, I've got a few issues with it and I want something to be able to, for the record, set apart the ones that I that I truly do am I'm, I'm like fully into. Okay. So, yeah, I, I enjoy this record. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this record. I don't prefer the blues angle of it as much as some might. But if you like the blues, then maybe maybe you'll like it more than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that for the record, I'm going to go neutral on it. Cool. What do you think, Kyle? Uh, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. Um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Like, like, like I said earlier, this is the first Tom Waits record I've listened to end to end since like the mid nineties. Um, and it won me over. Um, there were points where I was like, I'm never going to like this. And then I liked it. Um, and a lot of it's that, that last song and a lot of it's my fragile mental state, maybe a little bit, but um uh, I really, I really enjoyed this record, and like I said, I, I played it for the the people in my in my classroom, and they enjoyed it too, a lot, um, more than the other records. So I'm, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a thumbs up, and I'm going to say that I'm looking forward to listening to more Tom Waits, all right, um, and discovering this artist in my forties. <laughs> Very positive <laughs> on that. We think, Rob. Uh, upon reflection, uh, with my biases laid out, um, since I'm not going to get what I want, sometimes I'll find that I do get what I need. And what I needed was uh, this Tom Waits record. Uh, I go a positive. I had starred seven of the uh, the tracks. And uh, if that isn't a glowing review, I don't know what is. 
Um, Seven out of nine is pretty good. Yeah. It's, uh, he's he he he's found do with this record and everything coming afterwards like is kind of based off of like th- this is the uh this is the t- template and for us like it's so yeah positive cool yeah this, tom waits to me represents something that that i'm always looking for it's a it's a in-between songwriter and a, a bit of the backside of hollywood or uh, a gritty '70s New York. It has it has that edge with the lyrics, but it and his his raspy voice. But it meets this uh, Sinatra esque uh, Dean Martin, you know, sort of crooning. Yeah, and I I just latch on to that because it's a lot more interesting than the clean cut '50s '60s crooners, and it but it it pushes it into uh into this uh cd element and so i i, I love tom waits um birch would, would you put this in your top five tom waits records no i don't okay. think so but okay. it would be it might be top 10 all right wow it, it, i guess it it depends on if we're talking about live or not live um but yeah it, it has a real place for I, i'd say it's one of his uh, top on asylum. So if you want to talk about, you know, speaking purely from a AD to BC, uh, Tom Waits before and after heart attack and vine, you know, being like at the very end of that, it's one of his best, um, quote unquote early albums, but talk, you know, overall, I mean, he's, He's done so many good albums that it's it's really hard to uh, to uh, to pick it. Yeah, I, I was really looking forward to your guys' input because usually it's just some swarthy stranger in a bar talking about some <laughs> way. To talk to your yeah, and I'll... at this point I missed that, but yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that you are my 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 swarthy friends. <laughs> I apologize for everyone who's like trying to get someone into to Tom Waits. Um, I think usually what what that means is uh, for people like me, you know, who who have an ideal sense of, you know, old time Hollywood and having a whiskey at a nightclub uh, when no one's around and Tom Waits is playing on the piano. I mean, that's what that's sort of a dream of ours. And so he he can he can do that. To you, he gets he puts you in a sentimental mood. He just does, um, especially if you're uh, uh, late night around uh, some good friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, now we're listening to, to Ruby's arms, and we're all gonna cry. <laughs> Get me out of here! All right, next time we'll be talking about what listen to next. UB40 signing off. Sleeping with a pill of man on a nickel over there. So climb up through that buttonhole. Fall right up the stairs. I'll show you where. The short dogs grow
on a nickel No hope for the 